Many of you uh, have heard of Mike Tyson? Any of you? Not too many of you? Okay, that... I mean, if you're under 35, you might not know who he is, and for the sake of clarity, I, I know some of you thought this is a picture of me with my shirt off, but... <laughs> Tyson was kind of a sports icon back uh, in the 80s, and you have to put up, because I'm older, with older illustrations, and... Anyways, along with guys like Michael Jordan. He was a boxer unlike any who had come before him. He had a string of heavyweight championships between 1985 to 1990, and there were like 10 guys he knocked out in one minute or less. Seriously. There was a video game called Mike Tyson Punch-Out. Maybe some of you older gamers know it. Now, at the height of his career in 1990, Iron Mike squared off with some no-name, mostly unknown fighter, Buster Douglas. People scoffed, they just laughed at this upcoming fight. It would obviously be no challenge. Tyson had just knocked out his previous opponent in, in 93 seconds. So there was just no doubt about whether Tyson would win. The question was, how many seconds would it take? But Tyson's head was so puffed up from that 93-second win and the fact that Buster Douglas was a nobody that he didn't even prepare for the fight. In fact, he stayed out late partying the night before. You can guess what happened. Buster Douglas won by a knockout in the 10th round. The world went nuts with confusion. This was like Rocky III deja vu. Rocky III had just come out a few years before this fight. A lot of you, I hope, know the story of, of Rocky, right? Rocky takes himself for granted, gets fat, gets out of shape, and he loses to Mr. T. And Rocky's trainer has a heart attack and dies. I mean, this is a tremendously tragic moment in film history, which, by the way, means Mike Tyson should have known, don't be a Rocky Balboa. But Tyson thought he was special. Buster showed him that he wasn't. It was a watershed moment in Tyson's career, and from there, his career went downhill quickly. Mike Tyson illustrated a, a tragic truth. Defeat is difficult, but success can be fatal. Defeat is difficult, but success can be fatal. This is a line I, I stole from a guy by the name of Brian Loritz. Uh, he's a guy that often speaks at the Global Leadership Summit, which, by the way, is in Fort McMurray this week. Uh, we got about 13 people going to it uh, at the Legion at the end of the week. And if you're interested in leadership development for a couple of days, talk to me. I think tickets are still available for it. But anyways, defeat is difficult, but success can be fatal. And that is such a great description of what we're going to see today in Daniel chapter 4. We're in the fifth study in a message series on Daniel called Thriving in Babylon. And, and today we'll see King Nebuchadnezzar suffering from a bad case of success. Where God the Almighty One is about to knock the king out with a right hook. But unlike the punch by Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson, the hit God lands is ultimately a healing one. And friends, sometimes when God knocks you out, it, it's so that he can heal you. What is interesting about Daniel chapter 4 is that it is not written by Daniel, but it is written by King Nebuchadnezzar. This is his personal testimony, if you want to use today's church vocabulary, where Nebuchadnezzar talks about his personal experience of God. 
This was a public written statement he made for the people of Babylon and beyond. It is really remarkable. Let's start by reading Nebuchadnezzar's opening comments. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now I presume that Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel permission to publish his statement. Maybe even Daniel helped him write the statement. In fact, I wonder how familiar Nebuchadnezzar was with the book of Daniel because I get that's all a bit speculative on my part, but hey, these guys were tight. What is so amazing is Nebuchadnezzar's desire that the whole world, or at least that part of the world that's under his control, would know that the kingdom of the true God existed and that it is everlasting. That this was a kingdom distinct from every other kingdom in the world, including Babylon. And he wanted them to know about all the signs and wonders done by God. Let's uh, get into the story a bit further. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I, I told them the dream, but they couldn't interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. These are amazing words from the most powerful man in the world at that time, a man who often thought of himself as God. And I want you to remember the phrase, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. He, he's got it made. Life is good. He's living at ease in Babylon. And it, by the way, this message that I'm giving is for anyone today, any of us, who anyway has it good, feels a bit of contentment, and living is easy in the Babylon of Fort McMurray. Living with contentment and not finding any real need for God, you've, you've kind of done it on your own. You're, you're not sure how much God had to do with it, if anything. Well, let's get into what becomes a, a life-altering dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Rather than read it for you, let me just tell it to you. In his dream, Nebuchadnezzar sees a beautiful tree that is a source of food, protection, and shade for the whole earth. It is visually pleasing, and, and, and it's, it's pleasing to every sense. I mean, sight, smell, shade, uh, I mean, food, taste, on and on. Yet, Nebuchadnezzar hears an order from above to cut that tree down. Not to destroy it completely, but to leave its stump in the ground. This majestic tree... It is a symbol of a man whose human mind is to be removed and an animal's mind is to be given to him for a period of seven times until this person learns that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men. Nebuchadnezzar is probably not surprised that his mission, uh, his magicians and so on can't interpret the dream. I mean, he gave up on them long ago. 
but he knows Daniel can. Why? Well, let me read. Nebuchadnezzar says, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of these wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Nebuchadnezzar recognized that the true God was at work in and through Daniel's life. And it got me thinking, man, wouldn't it be so awesome if the people we worked with, people on our street where our kids play hockey, if they could actually see Jesus in us. Nebuchadnezzar could see God in Daniel. You know, it's not impossible. It's, it's just part of what it means to live and love like Jesus. So friends, let's just be a people who when they look at us, they see the love and power of Jesus. Would you make that a goal of your life to be a person that when people look at you, they see the love and power of Jesus? Initially, Daniel's a little bit perplexed about his dream. I I suspect he's praying to God for the right interpretation and then it it just hits him and, and he's horrified. You can just see it all over his face. Daniel, by this time, at this point in time, has come to genuinely love Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't just admire him, but he loves him as a person. This is so important for us to see. And again, there's a question here for us. How do you, think about this, how do you feel about the antagonistic Babylonians you live with? You know, whether the ones in politics, maybe your boss, or that neighbor with loud parties in the home beside you as the smell of weed wafts into your backyard. Okay, maybe loud and weed don't get together, don't go together, but you get the idea. Or that guy with that wonderful black fly with less than sweet words about our prime minister on them. Do you love, weep, and just pray for the best to come to some of these challenging Babylonians in your life? And Nebuchadnezzar, he, he sees it on, on Daniel's face. I suspect he understands that the dream is about him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The dream is the picture of the fall of Nebuchadnezzar, who, by the way, as you remember, had torched the holy city of Jerusalem and took God's people into exile It's a tough dream of tough times ahead. It is a dream of judgment. Daniel explains, Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. But God has issued a decree from heaven that because of your pride, like this tree, you are going to be cut down. You will be driven away from the people you uh, live with and um, you'll be driven to the wild animals. You'll eat grass like ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you for until you, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with his roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And then Daniel pleads. He pleads to the king to repent. To repent, to turn his life over to God. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. 
Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then your prosperity will continue. And do you catch there what God is accusing Nebuchadnezzar of? Nebuchadnezzar was guilty of overwhelming pride that is coupled with his total lack of moral integrity and a lack of mercy to those who are oppressed. Unless you're a friend of the king like Daniel was, he is not a nice guy. But sadly, Nebuchadnezzar in his pride and loving the life he's living in Babylon, loving all the power he has, he did not repent. So God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to repent, but he didn't. And since pride flooded Nebuchadnezzar's mind, God gave him a new mind, the mind of an animal. Take a look at Nebuchadnezzar's pride and what happens next. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by, by my mighty power and for my glory and majesty. Yet just a little bit of pride there as he's admiring the power and beauty of the Babylon he believes he built. And hey, God is not opposed to beauty, even opulence and strength. Those are good gifts from God. That is, if we recognize them as gifts from God. That is, God is not opposed in our living in decent homes and nice neighborhoods. He's not even opposed to your quad and other toys if, I know, I have a quad confession, if you have your priorities straight, including your financial priorities, and you put God first and not your stuff. But Nebuchadnezzar, despite having encountered the true God before having seen his and yeah, he's actually seen his unmistakable divine power before. He's seen God. But he wouldn't let go. And he wouldn't let God have supremacy in his life. He wouldn't acknowledge that what he had was really all God's in the first place. So puffed up with pride and self-security, he, he gloats over all that he accomplished. And we read, even as the words on his lips a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live like wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. And so this is what happened to the world's most powerful king at the time. Nebuchadnezzar was knocked down. And he's going to stay knocked down for seven periods of time. Okay, we, we don't know what seven periods of time means, except that it's some picture of the full amount of time that's needed for Nebuchadnezzar to finally get it. Seven is a, a number in the Old Testament that often means fullness or completeness. And, and during these seven periods of time, the, the mightiest king in the world was reduced to a groveling madman. The king, who had been the universal provider and protector of Babylon, has become the one in need of provision and protection. It's the great reversal. God humbles the proud. Let me pause and say a couple of words about pride. King Solomon teaches, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 11.2 the Lord detests all the proud of heart. 
Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16.5. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16.18. These are strong words of warning to you and me about the destructive power of pride and arrogance. And the life of Nebuchadnezzar pictures this destruction for us. Okay, from this story of Nebuchadnezzar, we, we see that pride has a couple of roots that maybe we should be aware of. Number one, pride comes from a failure to see that every good thing comes from God. Nebuchadnezzar surveyed the might and the splendor of his kingdom, but he, he makes no acknowledgement of God in the process. This is a big deal here in Fort McMurray. We, we come from all over and... We get jobs that tend to pay a little more than the rest of the country, live in homes that are maybe a little nicer than we lived in before. We have a few more toys. We, we, we think life is good, I've done well, and we forget to acknowledge God. We, we just pat ourselves on the back for making the right decision to come and work in Fort McMurray. And we've worked hard. I mean, yeah, you've worked hard. But you were using health and energy supplied to you by God. We took gifts and abilities that God gave us and, and used them, but they came from God first. Friends, each of us needs to pause every day. We need to pause every day and acknowledge God that all I am and have is a gift of God. None of it is ultimately my doing. Believer or unbeliever, it all comes from God. Pride's second root. The foolish assumption that the good life will last forever. Here in Fort McMurray, we've been confronted by the foolishness of that thinking, um, you know, through fire and floods and economic upheaval with oil and then the pandemic and, and still job losses in places like Suncor, but things are still settling down a bit and we're rebuilding our security, our good life. For most of us, life is good. And then we stop and forget about thinking about God. If you've been following along in this message series, you, you will know that if anyone should have felt secure about the future, it was Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he couldn't be attacked. Literally no army in the world compared to Babylon's. He can't be fired, he's the supreme ruler. He's an unchallenged monarch. No one's even trying to take him down. He can't go bankrupt because he's the World Bank. You get the idea. But you and I both know that God has a way. Hey, you might be sitting on top of the world with enough savings for any contingency, or maybe you are young um, with talent that everyone is telling you that you are the next up-and-coming one. But then it all changes with a simple three-word diagnosis. You have cancer. And hey, it wasn't that long ago that an invisible virus of unknown origins shut our society and much of the world down. It, it, it just happened out of our control. I mean, the builders of the Titanic boasted not even God could sink this ship. They said that, really. But then there's an iceberg. It could be one of your kids and friends or ain't no pain like kid pain. But like Nebuchadnezzar, it, it could happen through mental illness. I mean, the body is so delicate, so fragile, so, so easily thrown off. 
Financial markets can get disrupted. You could still lose your job. So right now, you might walk out on your little empire and look over your empire, your portfolio, your, your future prospects and say, look at what I've built by my power for my enjoyment. And I'm not saying that God does this, but God or not, bad stuff happens and we find ourselves crawling on our knees. The writers of the Bible continually want us to know that pride, self-reliance, uh, uh, I can live without God is a destructive way to live. We are not in control at all. Circumstances can happen. Junk happens. And without keeping our eyes on Jesus, we will go through a lot of unnecessary pain. Friends, Jesus doesn't always take us out of the fire. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a couple of weeks ago? God doesn't always take us out of the fire, but he can walk with us in the fire, even give us some divine protection. God will walk with you in the fire. This is good news. And there is more great news in this story. There is a way out of this pride mess we get ourselves into. Our God is gracious. He is for us. He gives us second chances over and over and over again. Remember the command not to cut the stump down in Neb's dream? Daniel explained that the command to leave the stump of the tree with his root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. The way out is simple. You, you look up to God and, and, and repent of your pride, your selfishness, your, your immoral living, and you, you let God do a work of healing and restoration in your life. That's it. It's really that simple. And after seven periods of time, Nebuchadnezzar finally got it. We read at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. And I want you to see this next verse, which is probably one of the most stunning declarations of humility in the Bible. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Do you remember Neb's flatterers? They always greeted him with, O king, live forever. But Nebuchadnezzar now says, those words belong only to God. We are all temporary. Our lives are like vapors in the wind. Our, our kingdoms like sandcastles on the beach. Friends, good self-esteem is not thinking higher of yourself than you are. When you die, to quote Mark Twain, the world laments for you for an hour and forgets you forever. Think of your funeral this way. Your family's going to gather from all over and collect up all of your possessions that you've spent a lifetime accumulating, and they're going to say, what in the world are we going to do with all of this junk? Right? I mean, I know my kids are going to say that. And then they're going to hold up your clothes and make fun of them. And that's it. You're gone. Good self-esteem is not thinking higher of yourself than you are. Okay, back to Nebuchadnezzar. He raised his eyes in repentance. He acknowledged that God was God, not him. He acknowledged that he was in desperate need of God's mercy. And what happens? Let's let Nebuchadnezzar tell us. At the same time, or at the same time, that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. 
My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. And Nebuchadnezzar wraps up this word of testimony that he wrote saying, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's it. The conversion story of the richest, most powerful, most wicked king in ancient history. Friends, God is able to humble all those who walk in pride. This is so, so powerful. And even more amazing, I'll get to be in heaven with Nebuchadnezzar. Hope he'll be okay if I call him Neb and say, Hey, Neb, can you tell that story again? You know, the, that, that story about uh, the testimony you wrote for everybody to, to hear. That was so awesome. Friends, the mightiest man and woman ever to walk on the face of the earth will, at the end of time, on that day, they will find themselves crumpled in a heap before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, unable to lift their heads. This is what the Apostle Paul says. For at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what about you? Have you allowed God to humble you? Have you freely of your own volition humbly acknowledged that Jesus is your Lord? Humbling ourselves before God is key to living with God now and forever. Have you humbled yourself before God, repented of your sin, and invited Jesus to fill you with himself? Do you remember that little phrase in the dream? But leave the stump with its roots. A stump with roots can grow again. When Jesus died on the cross, his life was pulled up by its roots that so that he could forgive and restore you, grow you again to be everything that you're supposed to be if, if you choose to let him. And so now he calls you in your insanity to come to him, to separate yourself from your sins, to humble yourself in surrender to him. Are you ready? Friends, this pain in your life that you're going through he is not trying to punish you for your sin or indicate that he hates you. Hear me, he's just trying to wake you up. He wants to restore you. Will you listen? Join me in prayer and would you maybe pray the words that I pray and pray them in your heart with me and make this prayer your own personal prayer of commitment today. Let's pray. Father God, just acknowledge him. I confess that I often live as if I don't need you. Be honest with them. Tell them that. I often forget that every good gift comes from above. Would you come in to my heart and pray that whether you've done that before or this is the first time. Would you come into my heart and fill me with your life-giving spirit that I may live a life of humility and gratitude to the glory of your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.